It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like Sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Old Lady Speaks on Black and White and Red All Over. This is your host, Danny, coming to you once again for episode 9, the Valerie Bozhinov episode of <laughs> The Old Lady Speaks. If, you're, if you want a blast from the past from the Cheddar B days, or we could go with Vincenzo Iaquinta, but I don't know if we want anybody relinked to the mafia. Morata? <laughs> yeah. He's, Morata? He's a good guy. We like him. Or, or Gonzalo Higuain edition 1.0. So, as you can hear, I am joined by Sam Lepresti. Hello, Sam. How you doing, Danny? I am joined by Chucks. Hello, Chucks. Hello there. Uh, good evening. And, you know, it's funny. I remember Valery Bozhinov. I remember seeing him on Eurosport 2 once upon a time when we were in Serie B. I remember that. I just... The Eurosport 2 were showing uh, Serie B games. And I remember seeing Valery Bozhinov. <laughs> yeah, good evening, gentlemen. <laughs> And we're joined by Sergio. Hello, Sergio. Happy to be here, man, as always. Football's back. Serie is back. We scored a goal. That's right. And I, I can think of somebody who Sergio wants to be wearing number nine ne- next season, but we'll, we'll wait for that, for that later. <laughs> All right, we got a, a busy one today. It's uh, on the day we're recording, which is just for everybody listening, the day before Juventus played Genoa to wrap up the June portion of the Serie A schedule. We've got a couple of games to talk about and, unlike last time, a couple of wins to talk about, some transfer news, and we might be seeing an old buddy coming back and manning the sidelines of a certain Juventus under-23 team. But we'll start with the fact that Juventus has actually won a couple of league games to begin the the Serie A portion of their restart schedule and, depending on how you look at it, have looked decent looked better at least compared to what we saw in the Coppa Italia so I will start with whoever wants to jump in here certainly steps forward as compared to the Coppa games 
I think the biggest difference in the two games and the, the biggest difference I think that you can trace into the Copa games is Sergio touched on this in, in his grab bag. I mentioned this myself is that you can tell there's a difference in the team when they're playing against a team that's just content to park the bus and sit there. And when you're up against a team that's willing to go play Bologna were willing to go play as is the way Sinisa Mihailovic handles his teams. He's not one for defense for, for bus parking. And Juventus looked a lot better at that point than they did in any of the Copa games. And for most of the first half of the Lecce game until the red card switched things around the, the they're, does, there just doesn't quite seem yet to be an understanding on the, the player's part of how to use Sadi's system to break that down. Specific, very specifically, I see a lot of guys against a packed bus just kind of standing static. There's not a lot of off-ball movement, which is a, a, a prerequisite for Sadi's, for Sadi's system because you're supposed to use off-ball movement and the passes to move defenders out of position and that's where you get your space. And there have and that that's by the way not something that's just this year. That same thing was going on last year as well uh, under Allegri. There wasn't a lot of good off-ball movement. And so it's a I, I think those are are the things that we're going to look at at the as the season goes forward. Our team's going to sit. Our team's going to play. It might actually work in Juve's favor against teams like Atalanta and Lazio to be able to play their game, knowing that Atalanta and Lazio are not going to be the, you know, those are the two biggest games coming this year. They're not going to sit back and counter. They're going to want to play their football, especially Atalanta. So we might actually see Juve look a little bit better against those teams than we will against, you know, teams like Genoa uh, coming up or 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 beyond that yeah definitely i think it's also being kind of like a common theme for both this current iteration of juventus and actually going back probably to last year of this team just having a tough time just adjusting to the competition in the sense that they very much play down to their opponent like oh, yeah. if, if you're playing against the bolognas and leches of the world this team just looks like they have no answer for large periods of time when they just park the bus, they have, like you, like you mentioned, Sam, they have no creativity, no off-the-ball movement. It's just completely uh, no danger in the passes they're doing. Just a wild cross here and there, maybe trying to do something, and that's that. And we actually saw that in the, in the Lecce game, which was Friday. They were, honest to God, struggling against Lecce for the first 30 minutes. They have no answer. They were offering nothing offensively. And they even got kind of like a little bit, I mean, they were a little bit vulnerable in the counterattack. It, it was only until Lecce had that red card by the defender. I'm blanking on his, on his name right now, but you know, he misplaced a, a ball. Rodrigo Ventancourt flips it and he gets fouled, he gets red carded, now Lecce is down one, and then kind of like the floodgates open up after that. It'll be very interesting for me to see, like you mentioned, Sam, for them to actually play against a team that will bring the game to them, like the Atalanta of the world, like the Lazio of the world. Because we, we can talk about this when we get closer to that, but there is one team that will definitely park the bus and will definitely try to survive for 90 minutes. And that is Leon when the second leg of the Champions League returns, hopefully sometime this year. So that what, what are they going to do if that happens? I mean, are they just going to be more of the same of what we've seen? So yeah, just to kind of round everything up, a bit of an improvement over what we saw. But I mean, they did following it and let it. Like, let's not praise too much a team for beating Bologna and Lecce, especially when, you know, your Juventus, they're supposed to beat those teams. But it was good to see them score goals. That was something. I was, I was happy to see that, at least. Who had Ronaldo scoring a penalty in the pool as the first goal of the restart? Because I know that happened on that episode. I believe it was oh, Hunter. Hunter. <laughs> although, yeah, although, yeah. although I think everybody did, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it probably was Hunter. I think, you know, 
it, it probably aligns with his distaste for uh, Ronaldo. But yes, yeah, Sergio, going off you know what you said, and I think I mean that leads very nicely into what I wanted to say. You know, it's always it's always this thing with Juve games. I think really with any game of any big team like you know Barcelona, Real Madrid, Liverpool, and so on and so forth. It's always like, okay, you're playing against a, quote, smaller team, unquote. And it's like, if you win decently, comfortably, it's like, oh, well, it's just Bologna, it's just Lecce, you know. But if you, if you lose, <laughs> then it's like, oh, we can't even beat Bologna, we can't even beat Lecce, you know. Which, I mean, obviously valid points because it's, I mean, it's kind of problematic if we can't beat these teams. But so I always swing between those two, I guess, extremes, really, of like, well, it's only Bologna, it's only Lecce, but I mean, you better beat Bologna, better beat Lecce. Yeah, in terms of the performances, I mean, uh, once again, it was really nothing that we didn't expect. It was just basically, first half, we kind of, you know, kind of do all right, kind of pass the ball around, you know, defensively looked kind of okay. Except against Lecce, there was, indeed, you know, Sergio, you mentioned that beginning period against Lecce, and I remember specifically as maybe the fourth minute or the fifth minute, I want to say the fourth minute, where they had that one counterattack, which was really quite nice. It was really quite a nice attack where it was like, it was kind of pass, pass, and then it was a long ball, and then their striker headed it down, and then one touch to the guy on the right wing, I think, and then he took it on the volley, half volley, and then, well, yeah, he smashed it over. But it was a really very tidy attack, actually. I remember that. It was just like, blimey, you know? We made him look like Tiki Taka over there. And, I mean, that was... That was pretty concerning indeed. But yeah, I mean, it was just kind of typical Juve, you know, performance where it's like, well, it's kind of okay, kind of whatever. And then we score a goal and it's just about good enough. And then we score a second and or third, fourth. And yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's all right. But I mean, again, for me, it's just like, well, my expectation with Juve is roughly this really. So therefore, I mean, I guess by definition of the word you know surprised which would be a deviation from your expectations I wasn't surprised I wasn't unsurprised it was basically just relatively as expected so well as you were Juve and as you were uh, Maurizio Sarri. I mean I would like to say that the one thing that has really had me excited since the restart and this is with the Copa as well is that the defense looks like it's finally sorted itself out. I mean, yes, there were some danger moments in the final. Buffon very much bailed us out at the very end. You know, there was a bit of a wobble for guys like Cuadrado and Delict in the first maybe 10, 15 minutes of the Lecce game on Friday. But we haven't allowed a goal in the first four games, and we haven't let, and we haven't even seen the goalkeeper in all that much danger. You know, that that was one of the big questions as the early part of the season had gone on was what the heck happened to the defense because we were just, we were leaking goals at a prodigious rate. And that's always going to be a byproduct of transitioning to a system like Saudi's, which necessarily has more defensive risk than you normally have in an Italian side. But this, the defense looks a lot tighter and a lot better drilled now than it did early on. And I think if, I think if you have that bedrock to build off of, things could only go up from there. For sure. Actually, they haven't really allowed a goal so far. So, I mean, that's that. if you want to point out an aspect of the team that right now seems to be working, yeah, you definitely have to think about that defense, especially uh, Matthijs De Ligt, which I believe I actually nailed for the first time. Can you give me a, a check on that, Chuck? Can, can yeah, we go, can right, we go to the Dutch judge for that, Chuck? Yeah, you're all right, mate. You're all right. You'll get a pass on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're all right. <laughs> Yeah, I think he's finally, you know, showing why they paid 80 million euros for him. Like, he's finally showing to be that guy that you build a defense around. You know, he's cleaned up all the, you know, early season mistakes, and he's now, uh, you know, just like the stud center back that we know we were getting. I, I mentioned it on, on my piece that, you know, the early season slander of, of the lift was always ridiculous to me, but now it's looks even more ridiculous when you see him make a, a 20 yard sprint and make a perfect sliding tackle on an electric counterattack. Like that's the guy 
that's the guy you get and you build your defense around for the next like 10 to 15 years. I mean, I'm really, every time I'm looking, I'm watching a game now, it's like I'm really excited to see him defend, which was not the case early early on in the season. So, so yeah, definitely if you want to, you know, talk about bright spots, I think that defense is really, really looking good. Just quickly before uh, before we move on. You know, I, I always remember this one thing, one concept, I guess, that Andre Villas-Boas, yeah, I remember him. Um, Andre Villas-Boas once mentioned, which is really, I mean, he's a very insightful guy, actually. Like, really, uh, he's had some really interesting interviews. He's just had a kind of an eclectic career. He retired and then he went to do, like, motor racing in the uh, Dhaka or da- Doha. Was I forget where. He did some weird motor, motor racing stuff. And then he came back and he's out at Marseille, which is really odd. But anyway, he said... You know, you, you talked once extensively in, in an interview about this concept of uh, match control. So he said, you know, okay, people, and this was, I mean, this was five, six, seven years ago, quite a while ago. So he was just talking about like, okay, people look at teams like Barcelona and they have like, you know, 60, 70, 80% ball possession. And they think, wow, they're dominating, you know. And he said, well, I'm not so sure of that because, you know, what is they can have 80% ball possession, but do they control the match? Do they create opportunities? Do they not concede opportunities? Do they make a lot of key passes or something or lots of shots on target and whatnot? And it's just this concept of like, is this team in control of the match, both offensively and defensively, in spite of, or maybe thanks to, possession? And I think of that a lot with the Juventus when I watch them and think, okay, you know, put aside ball position, but like, do I, me watching this game, do I feel like Juventus is in control of the match, has a degree of match control, either through, okay, maybe 30% ball possession, but then that 30% results in like 10 shots on target and, you know, three uh, hits on the post or whatnot, or maybe not, you know, maybe not. I think a lot of time with Juventus, it's, I think we do, it seems like we have we have match controls, like okay, we have the ball possession and whatnot, but I often don't feel like we truly have match control either offensively, mostly not offensively, more often defensively, but mostly not offensively because of just the lack of opportunity making and lack of and the kind of just the the friction there is an attack and it just you know things just don't flow well and it doesn't feel like the players have understood Sari's system. You know, so those kinds of things make me think oh, offensively, we're just not really demonstrating any type of match control. But defensively, more often, and especially now with, you know, four clean sheets and generally being all right, barring, you know, first 20 odd minutes against Lecce. I'm surprised that was Andre V.S. Boas and not Tim Vickery. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm a man of surprises. You know. <laughs> so, he's just such an eccentric character. <laughs> you should really read about his life. He's so interesting. He's. <laughs> Brilliant. And that Porto side, I remember playing that Porto side in FIFA. Oh, brilliant, brilliant side. Hulk, or uh, as Tim Vickery would say, Hulki, and Falcao, and James Rodriguez. Oh, it's brilliant, brilliant side in FIFA. Just love that. Was, was a certain Alexandro part of that Porto yes, side as well? Yes, there yes, yes. Alexandro and uh, Lucho Gonzalez, uh, João Moutinho. Man, yeah, that was Brilliant, brilliant side. But anyway, enough uh, trip down memory lane there. (laughs) Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Speaking of Brazilians and guys who speak Portuguese, Juventus have a new signing, and it's one that, as I've been saying in my writing about it the last couple of days, Maybe a week or so didn't look so possible, but for whatever <laughs> for whatever reason, and I think possibly a nice contract and raise compared to what he earns at his current club, Artur, the Brazilian midfielder who has been rumored and linked with Juventus over the past month or two, has finally completed his move. And obviously that means Miralem Pjanic is going the other way. The details of the deal is basically Artur was 
valued at 72 million and signed a five-year contract with Juventus. Pjanic was valued at 60 million and signed, I believe, a four-year deal with Barcelona. The deal is a little bit of delayed gratification, seeing as this year is completely thrown out of whack and that deals that are completed before the fiscal year ends at the end of June aren't actually going into place until the summer transfer window opens in September. So before I get your guys' opinion on it, I want to read something from probably one of the best, if not the best, La Liga writers out there. Sid Lowe of ESPN, amongst other places, basically said in short, imagine that Pjanic turns out to be exactly the player Barca need. Imagine they win the league and Champions League with their new signing. Imagine him scoring the winner if you like, a brilliant goal at that as well. Imagine that at the same time, Arthur hardly does anything at Juve. Nothing next year or any year for the next decade, long after Panich has retired. Imagine that he's hardly played. Imagine him looking, <laughs> imagine looking at him injured or uncommitted and thinking how clever it looks to have got rid of him and, and the blame is all his. Imagine all of that, and I quote, and this deal is still a defeat for Barcelona. So, seeing as we're on the receiving end of Sidlow's assessment of this deal, what do you guys make of this deal? And obviously, we're going to have to wait a few months to see where exactly Juve's new midfield piece fits into the puzzle. I, I think right now, based solely on the vacuum of numbers, we probably have the better end of this deal. Marilyn Pjanic, six, seven years older than Arthur. And Arthur is that guy, is one of those guys that we needed for this midfield. And he seems to be able to fit what Sarri might like to do. The big question, like you said, where is he going to play? Will he be playing under Sarri is another question that we still don't necessarily have the answer for. I tend to believe he will, if for no other reason than I, I don't think the club is going to want to pay two coaches after having lost so much revenue over COVID. I, I think that Saudi will at least see out his contract. But the, the big question to me, would he play as a regista or would he play off to the right with Rodrigo Bentancourt as, at the regista spot? I, things I've heard about Arthur is that he's not, you know, the, he, a little bit like Pjanic in that he's not the kind of defensive rock in front of the defense that you would think that that position would entail. So maybe Bentancourt kind of, uh, I believe it was Luis Felipe Scolari who said something similar today, the former Brazilian national team coach. The idea of maybe having Bentancourt as the, the regista mopping up balls and orchestrating with passes out of the middle and Arthur off to the right, off to one side, a little bit further up to kind of orchestrate the final moves. That's, that's kind of where I'm seeing it. You know, if, if it works out, if, it, if this works out the way we hope it will, Barcelona is going to look bad for a lot of years off of this transfer. This is going to be one of the ones that hit. I love Miradam, don't get me wrong. He has served the team very well. But things weren't right with him and Sadi, And you're offloading at a positive economic level a guy who's seven years older than the guy who's replacing him in a straight swap, which I, which I, I agree with Sid Lowe. This is, it's hard for me to see Barcelona truly getting the better of this deal. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of elements to this uh, transfer. I mean, first of all, you have the financial element of it, and you have, of course, the sporting element of it, and then you have the, well, I guess, political element of it or background, the kind of behind-the-scenes uh, relationships between players and coaching staff plus i mean also with barca they're you know speaking of turmoil they're they're a club kind of you know internally they've had a lot of tough i mean a few tough years and just coaching changes and political issues quite literally with you know their president and also just recently after the neymar transfer i, th I think i read recently that court ordered neymar to pay i think pay some money back to Barcelona after a transfer. Because I think he took them to court over the transfer and it was, it was just a whole legal ordeal. You know, so you have behind the scenes issues like that. And just Barca just, you know, they're a pretty aging squad as well. You know, I just, I just kind of looked at their team the other day. And I mean, you have 
players all over the place over the thirties. I mean, not that we don't, but you know, you know, you have Messi obviously into his thirties right now. I mean, you know, of course he still has many, I mean, many years to play. I mean, he's still brilliant, obviously. But Suarez is, you know, in his thirties. Busquets is in his thirties. Rakitic is, I believe, Vidal as well. Also in his thirties. Gerard Pique as well. Jordi Alba is in his thirties. You know, it's. I mean, a lot of players really there uh, in their 30s. And they've just, you know, had some pretty tumultuous years. Uh, the Champions League exits against uh, Liverpool and Roma, which were just, I mean, all kinds of traumatic, uh, traumatic affairs, which, I mean, I'm sure we are all experienced with traumatic uh, footballing affairs as uh, Juventus fans in the last few years. So, you know, you have all those behind-the-scenes issues with Barcelona and I hear a lot of kind of grumblings of Barca fans that, you know, the team is not planning for the future, that the transfer dealings are just not, you know, sensible, don't really seem to make sense. And now you have one of their younger players indeed leave the club. And as we all, you know, note the, the age difference between the players. That said, I mean, I think most people do agree that Pjanic does seem like he would fit quite well into their system. You know, just a quick passing system and, you know, the high energy and and plus the fact that he will, assuming that he's going to play in a regista position, he will have the likes of Arturo Vidal next to him and Frankie de Jong next to him. And just that kind of passing quality, having that next to him, I think, I mean, you know, he'll obviously, uh, in the words of Kevin Keegan, he'll love it, he'll love it. Um, I'll love it. Well, <laughs> welcome, should watch to, that. welcome to Chuck's Impression Corner. <laughs> Once again, to watch that video. It's brilliant. <laughs> Kevin Keegan, uh, I think when he was in Newcastle, and he had some beef with Alex Ferguson. He was like, "I would love it. I would love it if Manchester United lost that game. I would love it." <laughs> it just cracks me up. Absolutely, just hilarious. So look at that um, uh, video if uh, you know if you're curious for some footballing history. But yeah, anyway, um, besides awkward references. So yeah, you have the behind the scenes issues, then you have the economic issues, you know, and as you pointed out, just the transfer fees, which, you know, at first sight, I mean, at first sight, the transfer fees look a bit absurd at best. I mean, uh, you know, the valuation of um, Pjanic, I mean. <laughs> Arthur, Arthur, I believe, is the fourth most expensive player based on transfer valuation that Juventus has ever pulled in. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's 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 approaching Ronaldo money. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I think yeah, only Delicti, Guain, and Ronaldo are the higher ones. Correct. Indeed, correct. indeed. Yeah, yeah. Indeed, and you know, I mean, to be fair, if there's one thing that, as kind of the world of football has evolved or <laughs> devolved, depending on your perspective, I've just become used to absolutely absurd transfer numbers nowadays. I mean, it just it. I mean, I, I'm used to seeing at least two record two transfer re- fee records being broken per per summer let's say so uh, you know i've almost become like desensitized to that but yeah i mean clearly there's some you know creative accounting that was the motivation of this of this transfer as i'm sure you know you guys noticed with fefu mentioning in the comments how i mean it's just basically for creating positive cash flow or creating kind of a positive effect on the books of both clubs actually and yeah just making the accounts look nice for at least this summer yeah so there's a motivation there and yeah then the sporting motivation which you know i always assess every transfer in the sense that this whole player versus system thing so you see my question then becomes uh was the player was artur uh brought in to fit an existing system or is it just a hey there's a really good player available let's bring him in and let's figure out the system later i would hope the the, the you know fit into the system the, the the former reason but i don't really know and i mean it seems to me that yeah it probably is to brought, brought he probably was brought in to fit a system but then the question becomes is it sari system or is it if he's not going to be here for longer than this season whose system you know, if anybody's. So more questions than answer, uh, answers I leave you with. It is telling that when the news broke, the vast majority of the coverage I, I, I saw from this flap deal was 
much more just detailing the financials of it and why they did it like they did it much more so than the actual quality of the players and how like the vast 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 majority of, of the of the things i saw the tweets the articles it was so like look how they're you know not cooking the books the books but yeah being uh, creative with their accounting so th this to me just seems like a like a move that both clubs did for honestly kind of like money reasons first footballing reasons second in my opinion not that there's not like a footballing reason behind it because as chucks mentioned barcelona is an old squad too and it is very interesting to see what they're doing and you know they're pretty much saying Miralem Pjanic is the you know the finished product this guy we can bring him in and, and you know just slot him into our lineup and he's going to deliver because he's you know kind of like a been there done that type of guy and we need that right now to kind of squeeze every last ounce of, of Lionel Messi's peak so that's kind of interesting to me because Juventus seems to be doing the exact opposite right by trying to get younger and it, it's being floated around in, in the you know rumor meal that that's a big objective of theirs right to get younger and to try to rejuvenate the squad despite arguably being being in a similar situation as Barcelona where they are a team that is on paper built win now it's a very old squad as well it's a squad that is heavily reliant on a certain Portuguese uh, underwear salesman known as Cristiano Ronaldo and that <laughs> <laughs> He's not getting any younger. <laughs> We're gonna get censored by SB Nation for that. Good lord. <laughs> underwear salesman. Great, great underwear, by the way. Great underwear. I, I, I got one of the pairs and it's a, it's a cat gift and super comfortable. <laughs> Cannot recommend enough. Really, really good stuff from from Cristiano Ronaldo. But uh, you know, going back to the point, he's not getting any younger either. So you would you could argue that Juventus should be doing the same thing, kind of like building to win now to kind of like squeeze out the last, you know, productive years of, of Ronaldo's career, and they're kind of like doing the opposite. So it's it's interesting for me in in that regards, and I, I you know, I will I, I think Miralem Pjanic had a you know generally successful stint as a Juve player. I just can't if this is well. Not it. I mean, this is it for Miralem Pjanic as a Juventus player. I can't help to think that you know he never quite, quite become everything that he could have as a Juve player, in my opinion. And that that's kind of a, you know, that's kind of disappointing. But yeah, if you just go by the reaction of Barcelona fans, we totally swindled them. Like they are super pissed off, which is always a, a good sign if you are the the team that is doing the the swindling. It it is hilarious. I feel I I can't claim this this I got it off of Twitter, but it is hilarious how Miralem Pjanic just completed a transfer between the two teams in the world where he would not be the primary penalty free kick taker on on direct free kicks. That is true. That is true. May arguably he should be here, but you know that's, here he that's should a, be. That's Messi's a little more. better at it than than yeah. the I, I think Messi's actually put something on goal in the last two seasons at the club level. So you know, <laughs> you can forward all those underwear salesman complaints to Sergio Romero. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he has accepted advertising money for that. Shame on you, Sergio. Yeah. Shame we'll, on you. We'll soon be getting sponsored posts from CR7 underwear. That was not a sponsored post, but you know, Ronaldo, if you want to, I mean, like, I'm open to it. I don't, I don't really mind. I, I, I would sling on the work. I don't really care. <laughs> on on that note, as <laughs> so I try and get my train of thought back, the Pianich Arthur news wasn't the only news of the day here on on Monday, and we got uh, Giorgio Chiellini, uh, Gianluigi Buffon extending their contracts for another year, which I think at this point based on what it was reported during the coronavirus suspension of play was pretty much just a matter of time. And then right before we hit record here, Sky Sport Italia's horde of transfer reporters said that our old buddy Andrea Pirlo is going to be the new, or I guess next manager of Juventus's under 23 side. And it's just, it's interesting timing seeing as Pirlo himself has said that he might not be in all that interested in 
managing a youth team level level squad, which you could say the under twenty three team kind of might be is, seeing as they've got Primavera players coming in and out throughout the season, but also the fact that Juventus's under twenty three side just won the Serachi edition of the Coppa Italia. So in terms of the Buffon Chiellini contract extensions, obviously this team for one, doesn't have very many Italians. So we know that there's at least a strong, uh, you know, two of the strongest Italian presences in the dressing room sticking around, but also just, it, it shows you that Chiellini is pretty confident that he can do it as a physical level coming off a knee injury, as well as Buffon has maintained for years now that he's going to keep playing as long as he feels that his body can hold up. And if we you know, saw the last time Buffon played in a game, he uh, still does. He he still got it. So, yeah, I think you know, as as it stands right now, it's great news that you know, Gianluigi Buffon and Giorgio Chiellini are coming back for another year. They both seem like you know incredibly important locker room presences, and you know, as this Juventus team get keeps, you know, kind of getting a lot of turnover constantly like when you really start looking at it like who is one of the longest tenure players in this team that is not you know Giorgio Chiellini or or Gianluigi Buffon like that list is pretty pretty short so just from a a leadership standpoint I think it's it's really important that they're that they're gonna be coming back next year and from like a actual footballing perspective I mean these are two guys that still have a lot in the tank. I mean, I think the way that Buffon's been deployed this year has been, you know, the, exactly the way you want to to have a guy like Gianluigi Buffon on your spot. You know, just the Coppa Italia keeper, you know, he kind of gets performances here and there. You know, he brings that leadership to the locker room. He brings that aura of, you know, Juventus to the, to the locker room. He knows how to get things done. And he's still a remarkably good keeper. If you, you know, if you just use him for, for like special appearances like he has. And Chiellini, I mean, it, it sucks to say, but you know, when he is healthy, which has not been super often, unfortunately, he still, he can still bring it. I mean, he's still one of the premier center backs in the league, so in the league and probably the world. So just from a footballing perspective, I think this is a good deal for, for both sides. And, you know, speaking about the, the Andrea Pirol news. Uh, I mean, that. How can that not be a good thing? You know, you got you have one of the best players in the recent, you know, history. You know, being like a, a manager, kind of like a stage guy type of guy to an under twenty three squad that, if we're being honest, hasn't really you know developed a lot of guys that have gotten a lot of minutes for Juventus. So I mean, I think. If he wants to do it, then he should do it. I mean, he should already have the job. The moment he says, yeah, yeah, sign him up. I'm like, well, yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, the question I kind of have, I suppose I'm not really commenting on Buffon and Chiellini, their contract extensions. But I think, I guess my question is kind of like, isn't there, or isn't there, or what is the policy on contracts slash contract extensions for 30-year-old, like, 30-plus players at Juventus. Because I thought, I'm not sure if my memory serves me right, but I thought it was just kind of like go on uh, rolling one-year extensions, like, you know, and just kind of keep it with that. And that not more than, like, never more than one or two-year extension would be offered to players over 30. I wasn't, I'm not sure because I, I vaguely remember something with Manjukic being the issue when he was about to leave or something so i don't know correct me if i'm wrong there you know i don't know i don't know if my memory serves me correctly there in, in um, recent memory it's pretty much been one or two year deals for guys i don't know if there's an official club kind of mandate in terms of players over 30 but that's pretty much how they've been doing it i mean you know you look at bonucci got a contract extension through i believe 2024 or maybe 2023 i can't remember off the top of my head but Buffon, you know, the the first time around, he was pretty much going on one-year contract extensions. Chiellini's last few contract extensions have been either one- or two-year deals. So, I mean, it, especially knowing 
how much turnover there has been with players. The older ones have kept it relatively shorter rather than say what we're expecting from Paulo Dybala to be one that runs through 2025. So yeah, I don't, I mean, it just seems like that's kind of the trend rather than, you know, an official club mandate where like some other big clubs where they don't have a, you know, say a, you know, a Messi might not be getting a, you know, another five-year contract before he plays or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It seems kind of like a gentleman's gentleman's rule there, I guess. Um, and uh, just as you were speaking, I looked it up. Still 2024 was for Bonucci, which was extended just last year. Actually, just a few months ago. So, yeah, that's there on that, on uh, Bonucci. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess in that respect, it's just kind of in line with, you know, club policy. Uh, the Bonucci, or sorry, the Giolini and Buffon contract extensions just seem to be kind of in line with, you know, unspoken kind of gentleman's rule of contract extensions with with Juventus. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, here, here, and uh, cheers to that. With respect to uh, Andrea Pirlo's potential move, or seemingly almost official move as coach, I'm quite glad that he starts with under 23, like, if he ever chooses to go, you know, truly into management, which, I'm, you know, he could do if he, if he wants to or not. I'm glad that he starts with under 23 because... You know, one of the things that just really pains me a lot with players that former great players that go into management is they they just jump into the deep end straight away. They, you know, they get their coaching badges and they go coach Real Madrid straight away. And it's like, I just, I mostly pills, frankly, for good reason. I mean, I just think, you know, you have to do your, you know, do your time, get like kind of gather up your experience and then slowly acclimatized to upper level the number one example of that failure i'm thinking of which really was such a shame because he's so brilliant was gary neville at valencia you know he was i remember then he was really at the peak of his kind of punditry career his early punditry career really he hadn't been doing it for a long time at that point for i believe it was sky sports monday no i think it was sky sports but he was, I mean, he was really, really highly rated. People loved his analysis, his punditry, and he was brilliant. I mean, I, I, I saw some of his stuff as well. It was just very thoughtful analysis and just not, you know, sensationalist stuff. We're not like, oh, he's got to put the ball into the box more often. But the yeah, actual, you know, actual thoughtful analysis and, and yeah, really thinking about the game. Like, he was very, um, oh, what's the word? Uh, cerebral kind of uh, look at the game and then he just immediately started coaching Valencia and well I mean of all clubs I was like of all clubs you go to like the most unstable like just club in Spain I mean it really baffled me and yeah I mean unsurprisingly you know the move didn't go well and I mean he reflected on it quite honestly and he was you know he said that yeah I shouldn't have gone straight for Valencia but so that's why I'm glad that someone like Birlo goes you know okay going to Juventus but just starting with under 23 under the radar, just kind of, you know, get used to things and then slowly go up to uh, upper level. And I mean, Zinedine Zidane, he did the same thing. You know, he was coach of the, uh, what's their thing called? The Cantera, I believe it's the, anyway, the Real Madrid youth team. And then, you know, eventually, oh, and then assistant coach and then coach. So I think that's really that, you know, nice kind of step-by-step process to hopefully uh, top level of management for Pirlo knock on wood. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this will be a little bit of inside baseball here, but last year when I got the opportunity to interview Andrea Pirlo here in New York City, before the interview, I was, I was spoken to by one of his representatives and actually told not to ask him about rumors that he would be going to the Juventus under 23 side, which, were, which has been a rumor since that point. This is not a new rumor. This has been going on for at least a year, but uh, now that I hadn't actually, I hadn't intended to ask any of that, uh, those questions. I truly hadn't and told him that. That's um, a reverse psychology. There, you were just, you were just going to press the hell out of him. You just no, but, to get the in, and then you're going to yeah, just. I hadn't press. I, I I truly hadn't. I I truly hadn't planned on that. But he, one of his representatives did say, you know, because he had a contract with Sky Sport in Italy for for the studio analysis, which I assume has has run out at this point. But 
I, I kind of feel like this has always been a foregone, like this is, was going to be the conclusion of that at some point. I just think that his, his relationship with Sky professionally really kind of uh, caused, to, caused him to, to obfuscate that a little bit. I, I really think this has always been in his, his plans and it's going to be really interesting. It'll be interesting to see these younger guys coming up from the academy, a system that has not given Juventus very much lately. And part of that has to do with the front office, using them more for, for money deals as opposed to actual squad players. The most recent example being Simone Muratore, who's heading for Atalanta with what's not being considered an official buyback clause, but some people think there's a, a handshake buyback clause. It, it'll be really interesting to see a player like him with the, that kind of gravitas and that kind of professionalism that he always had, what effect he might have on, on that team, especially if he turns out to be a good tactics coach, which given the way his mind works, I, 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 I think there's a good chance of that, but we'll never know until we see it. And so I'm really going to be looking forward to watching that next year and, and seeing what, what he can do with, with, with that group of kids, because really as much money as you, you can throw as much money around as you ca- as you can, but building off of your own homegrown talent is always a better idea. The Pep Barcelona teams were built off of La Masia. Even right now, the che- you know people thought that Chelsea were going to be screwed because of their their transfer ban this year, and Frank Lampard's taken a lot of younger kids like Tammy Abraham and. Mason Mount and some other guys and turned that into a really good squad. And they look like they could be a threat next year in the premier league. And meanwhile, here at Juventus, you've had two guys coming out, coming out of the system in the last 20 years that have had any impact on the first team. One is Claudio Marquisio and one is Moise Kane, who had a great season last year and then immediately got sold off for 40 million euros. So, you know, whether or not that was anticipating bad things given how that his season in uh, at Everton is gone is a, is a different story but the academy's got to start producing and if a guy like Pirlo can get that to happen and maybe really show the front office hey this kid will work I will take that plus there's also the issue of you know Champions League squads and the size of Champions League squads being you know kind of limited by the number of homegrown you know, the less homegrown talent that you have, too. the smaller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you How know. How many players do we even have that qualify? I think, frankly, that's one of the reasons why Daniele Rugani has been on the, hasn't been sold for so long, because he's one of the only guys on the team that qualifies for that. Yeah, yeah. And that's really concerning stuff. I remember I wrote about it some time ago in my monthly recap. And that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty frustrating stuff. Because then you get the issues of, like, okay, we have to cut, like, I don't know, one or two players. And then you suddenly have, like, uh, Stefan Liesteiner, excluded from the squad and then that's a whole ordeal oh he's gonna leave he's gonna not you know it just creates all that disruption so that's that's been a point of frustration to me with the, the champions league squads and the connection between that and the homegrown player rule also daniela rugani is on the squad because i mean he, he might you know he might still pan out you know he could take the next next step this next year we don't know that we we don't know that he is forever young he's forever a prospect yeah, and speaking of which, uh, underwear man, uh, since uh, Hugani is uh, quite <laughs> handsome as well, uh, you know, maybe he's all for that as well. Ronaldo, yeah. Daniele Rugani, and myself, we are all swinging the underwear. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess Paulo Dybala is too busy with his new Twitch account to uh, get included in that, but... Grind that bar, player, as, uh, <laughs> as a, out of the World of Warcraft, as fans would know. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Most of our Twitter questions this week, not a surprise to, I think, any of us here, were about 
Arthur. So I hope that we answered some of those, but we'll, we'll start with our, our good buddy, Handi Vandi, who kind of goes off of the Arthur signing. And we'll take the first question of his, his, two, his usual two-part questions. Juventus bought Arthur. Who is the most probable center midfielder to leave? And who do you think will be brought in as a replacement? So I believe our best friend, Sammy Kadira, no, is probably say, a good one. Shall we all say it on three? One, two, three, <laughs> Sammy Kadira. Yes, and as I keep saying, that will open up the door for my son, Rodrigo Bentancourt, to get to number six. So I am okay with that. I mean you look at any of the older guys and I think it's pretty safe to say they're probably the likely candidates. Cause, and I mean, who knows the way, the way things are going for Adrian Rabio, who the heck, <laughs> who the heck knows if he's going to be around for a second season with Juventus. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, is anybody necessarily going to leave as a direct result of uh, Artur coming to, coming to Juventus? I mean, I, I'm not really sure, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I'd have to think about that one, but. One thing I uh, have thought about is how to pronounce his name. And thank you, Tim Vickery, because according to... Drink. The, the, <laughs> <laughs> according to the Wikipedia, as we call him, it's uh, Artur, Artur Melo. The O's in Portuguese are always kind of odd O's. So uh, Artur Melo, as I will. So I'll say Artur. But anyway, that's my dodging of the question there. From at Pete Fry one, you get to keep one of Federico Bernardeschi or Douglas Costa. Which do you go for? I would probably. Dang, that's hard because Costa's skill set is so almost unique, especially in Serie A. Bernardeschi, <clears throat> when he's on, can do good things out of the wing, and it seems like you know, at least be a body at other places and is younger. If you really put, put the screws to me, I would say probably Douglas Costa just because Bernadeschi's versatility has ended up working against him for his entire time here at this, at this team. On the note of versatility, actually that, you know, that actually kind of brings into how my, how I would answer that question. I think it really depends on what you need. I think if you need a bit more defensive solidity and a little more tactical flexibility, I would say I'd go for uh, Bernadeschi. If you need a bit more attacking diversity, a little bit more of an X factor, I guess, probably go for Douglas Costa. If you, I don't know, if you need someone that's going to stay fit, that's <laughs> you, you probably want to go for Bernadeschi. That's very important these days, isn't it? Yeah, sure is. You also have to wonder how how each player might dovetail with Dejan Kulusevski or as my, my, my group in New York has begun started to start calling him Dejan Kulusexy with his awesome moves. Family show. Come on now. Some, some <laughs> of the, some of the moves he put on inter, especially in the second half yesterday. Oh, I would, I was just sitting and I'm just, and Sam, we were talking throughout, throughout the second half of that game as Parma bottled it. But when, when he's clicking, and he was in the second half against Inter. Oof, he's he's going to be fun once he gets some. And he's a tall drink of water too. Like I can he's see six, him. One, six, two. You and I were talking about you and I were talking about this at one point. I could see him kind of taking the Manzukic role of you know the the tall guy that can beat up on a fullback in the air and get some goals that way. I could totally see him doing that. Yeah. No, I, I, and then I responded, you know, you just, you just look at that at the end of Alexandro crosses where you've got a six, six foot two guy on the back post against, you know, a tiny, tiny, you know, left back. And it's just like, <laughs> hit me. So. And, that, uh, and, and in that situation, I would almost say you would want Douglas Costa as the change of pace to Kulusevsky based, based on, I mean, Bernadeschi's game is almost too similar to Kulusevsky to make it, to to make for a change if you needed to change something in the team. Yeah, and also I, I think it's it's so hard to really answer that question because we saw again we saw Bernardeschi this week. Uh, he plays a great game against Bologna. You know he has that really cool back heel assist. He presses the entire game. He gets super close to scoring a goal that you know goes to the post instead. But I mean. 
mean, he really puts in a shift and you're like, this is the guy. This is the guy. Like, I would keep him definitely because he's the whole package. And then he just throws a dud against Lecce. Like, I don't think it was a dud against Lecce. I, I mean, don't. He, he wasn't as good as he wasn't as good as Bologna, certainly. But I don't think it was. A, I mean, remember his pressing basic was one of the things that led to the opening goal. I, I, sure, but at the same time, like I think Douglas Costa did more in the thirty odd minutes that he played that Bernardeschi did the entire game, right? Like, I mean, well, yeah, he had about seventy five key passes. It's it's insane, <laughs> and, and you know, obviously, I mean, he came in with like. They were already down a man. They were probably tired. He comes in, fresh legs, change of pace guy. Like, obviously, you have to take that into account. But Bernardeschi so often seems to just disappear. Like, you don't see any of his contributions in the field for a large, large periods of time. And, you know, it just it sucks because when he's good, he's really, really good. But, you know, I just don't see the, the consistency in him. And with Kulusevsky coming over, I mean, I guess I would, I would enjoy keeping Costa more just because of that change of pace kind of, kind of thing he can give you. But again, who knows? Because maybe they sell Bernardeschi and keep Costa, and then Costa is injured for the rest for the entire next year, right? So who knows? Uh, I've I've also heard rumors that Douglas Costa might be involved in a swap deal involving Gabriel Jesus, which would give a nice shot in the arm to the front line from the striker position. So if it also depends, especially this, this summer when swaps are going to be big because of, of the shutdown, if you make use one of them as a make weight, then that's a, that's a different story. Speaking of potential number nine candidates for next season from our frequent Twitter question provider at the true R O A C this is for Sergio and Sergio alone. When will the GoFundMe page for the Raul Jimenez transfer fee be launching? And how much is too much to donate? Mainly because he does not want Mr. Milik to come to Juventus and would be very much pleased if he stays in Napoli. It's on the way. We're getting backers. We're I'm looking for like angel, angel investors or something like that. Uh, <laughs> We'll make it happen. We'll promise a lot of Instagram followers and, you know, a lot of T-shirt sales here in Mexico. But, you know, I mean, it, it's fun because actually Raul Jimenez is just, uh, we were talking about it before we hit record, but he is now the all-time leader in, in goals scored in a season for a Mexican striker in the Premier League. And not only that, but he has like an outside shot at being the best striker by, by goal scored in all competitions in all of England. Like, he is actually having a really, really good season. He, he scored 24 goals total this, uh, this campaign for, for Wolves. He's kind of like their, their linchpin in, in the attack. So, you know, when the first figures were being thrown around that he would cost somewhere, you know, around the neighborhood of 50 million, I was like, damn, like, I don't know if that's, if that's feasible, that seems a little bit rich. But, you know, you're talking about a guy that has 24 goals this season that can anchor, you know, front line by himself that, you know, plays really well, you know, doing the holdup. You know, he is that kind of target man that Juventus doesn't really have right now. And, you know, you kind of start talking yourself into that, that feel a little bit. I still don't know if, if Juventus will do it. I still don't know if they should because that's, that's a lot of reported money, but I mean, you can't help but wonder, and it dovetails nicely on a little bit of what you guys were you know, saying about Kulusevsky, you know, kind of like being able to body a smaller fullback. We just don't have, outside of Ronaldo, and he's not really the center forward on this team, we don't really have a guy that can do that, you know, that can just body a center back and a cross, and that has been something noticeable that, that you know, a guy like Raul Jimenez could very easily come in and kind of fit into that puzzle. But yeah, I mean, again, the, the train keeps on rolling. I mean, the guy keeps scoring goals. I mean, I'm still going to want him to be a, a Juve player next year for sure. And to bring things full circle, Raul Jimenez, handsome guy, Sergio, now in the underwear salesman business. 
he could shield his underwear as well. Definitely, absolutely. <laughs> we'll bring him into the business. When I would, did, when I would love say, it. I would love it. <laughs> Sergio, when did you say the bake sale was? Uh, it's it's between it's either this weekend or next. You know, okay. we're talking about <laughs> the rec center. You know, we're you know, the dates are a bit cramped, but you know, we'll, I'll, I'll let you guys know. <laughs> we'll we'll end things on that note with Sergio's bake sale. Make sure to look out for our social media accounts for the flyers. So. As always, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to us, like us there. We always enjoy your feedback. Google Podcasts as well as Spotify if you want to use those. As always, you can also follow us now that we have games on on the Twitter machine. There's actually plenty of interactions going on these days outside of when, you know, say a month ago, we were wondering what the heck to do with ourselves. So as always, we thank you guys for your input and your Twitter questions. We had a lot of them this week and hopefully we answered some of them in the first parts when we were doing the natural conversation of sorts about the, the Archer signing and everything like that. So for Sam, for Chucks, and for Sergio, this is Danny saying once again, stay safe. We'll see you guys next time.